Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right, good morning. It's good to see you all here in the auditorium and those online. Um, you may remember that song. That's DC Talk in 1995 that that song was out. Can anybody, this is the trivia question today, can anybody tell me, that actually song actually came out in 1970, but can you tell me the artist that made that popular or wrote that song? Larry Norman, yes, one of the key, uh, I guess, uh, starters of the uh, Christian music. Larry Norman made that song popular and wrote it and actually came out with a movie uh, in 1972 called The Thief in the Night. How many of you remember that movie? Yeah, we're dating ourselves now. Um, <clears throat> but I remember that movie coming out. I'm nine years old. And that movie comes out. It had to be like the week after that movie came out. I watched it. And I get home one time. And all of a sudden, my parents didn't tell me they were going anywhere. Or my two older brothers. And I get home. And the house is completely abandoned. And I just seen that movie and I began to weep, literally weep because I thought I had been left behind. And so I am distraught. How many people had that experience growing up? Anybody have that experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, thankfully my parents showed up in the driveway in a couple of minutes and uh, I wasn't marred for the rest of my life, you know? But you remember that, and then in 1995, many of you probably remember the Left Behind series that came out with um, Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye and wrote those, and it ended up being 16 best-selling novels that they wrote during that time, and then the movie Left Behind with Kirk Cameron came out in the year 2000. And then I even saw another movie, um, Left Behind, came out in 2014, just recently with Nicolas Cage, which is kind of interesting. But um, so just recently, I know with everything that's happened the last few months with the COVID pandemic and other things going on in our world, I know uh, my 22-year-old daughter was at home and started asking me questions about, are we in the end times? And it has got us into some really very interesting conversations, and we see more and more people, believers and non-believers, asking that question. So I'm not here today to answer that question, because I believe that Jesus taught that there is a more important question that we should really be focused on in our day and age, and that is, are you watching and ready for my return? But when you say end times, I feel like we have to do some clarification of what we're talking about. And so I want to take you back um, to Pastor Pete's. Um, Pastor Pete did a message. Remember that? series we went through in the Gospel of Mark, well, when he got to Mark 13, he did it, um, it's the same text we're going to look at kind of today in Matthew 24 and 25, but he took us through, and he had a diagram, Cody and I couldn't find that specific diagram, but Cody did find the talk on Mark 13, and so he put that out on the website, I'd really encourage you to go out there and listen to that this week, um, because we're not going to go into as much detail there. But um, we fa- I found this diagram similar to the one Pete used that I want to put up here just to understand some of the key elements when we say end times. So here we are today in this church age that we're living in today. And then what's following here is a seven-year 
tribulation, right? And so in that, in that tribulation, there's two major events that happen. And when you see in scripture, there's an event called the rapture, and there's an event called the second coming of Christ. And when you read prophetic uh, scripture, you got to be really careful about understanding what the writer is talking about. Is he talking about the rapture or the second coming of Christ? Because in the rapture, which literally means to be caught out or snatched out, you see principally mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. But even today, when you look at Matthew 24, when it starts mentioning, you know, one man will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be, um, will, will, will be uh, kept there. Um, and it's really what is described in that song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, and the Left Behind series, series that believers will be snatched from this world and meet Jesus in the air. So the second coming of Christ is different because that is something that will be held all through the sky. In fact, you remember when Jesus ascended into heaven in the book of Acts, the angels stand around and tell the disciples, hey, in the same way Jesus has ascended, he will also return in the clouds. So Jesus' first coming as a savior and a lamb to die for the sins of mankind is very different than this second coming when he will come and return as the Lion of Judah and returns to conquer and rule. It will be seen by all nations. It'll especially be a notice to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus fights for them in the Battle of Armageddon. So probably the biggest debate in Christendom is whether the church has to go through this tribulation period. So you have kind of three views on that. One is a pre-trib view that the rapture occurs before this seven-year tribulation happens. That's what you see in the Left Behind series. That's what you see in the Thief of the Night movie. Um, that's what I would say a majority of Christendom believes. But I know when Pastor Pete, and you got to go out and listen to that Mark 13 text, when he spoke on that, he kind of you know, did a little stir because he said, I'm not sure that I'm a pre-trib guy. So you need to go out and listen to that. Um, but then there's a mid-trib view that the church goes through three and a half years of that seven years, and there's an event called the abomination of desolation that we'll talk about in a little bit that um, happens, and that is when the church is raptured out. And then there's a third view, I'll draw it like this, that I even heard this week, um, you know, the founder and president of CBN Network, Pat Robertson, came out, I think, just recently and said, I'm leaning more toward this, that the church is raptured out and comes right back down. And that's the post-trib view. So let me just share to you um, my view, and I'm not sure probably it doesn't really matter, is I'm not sure which view I am, honestly. Um, I understand the pre-trib view because, you know, there's things that says, hey, there, you don't, Christians will never experience God's wrath, so they can't go through this tribulation period. You know, the church isn't mentioned in this little, tech, you know, the section of Revelation 4, 9, 4 through 19 where it talks about the tribulation. I just don't know if I can go there. I would just think when, um, when Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation to his disciples in Matthew 24, why wouldn't he say, hey guys, don't get too wound up about this because you're not going to be here. 
you'll be gone. You'll be raptured out. So, I mean, I'm just, I keep things simple in my life. That's the way I have to think. So that's, you have to just do your own research. The important thing is Jesus is coming back, second coming. They don't put this on here, but that is really what you've heard, the battle of Armageddon. It happens during that time. Um, Jesus comes back and fights um, and, and, um, over, and, and defeats Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, the unholy trinity, and all the nations of the world. And then Satan is, is bound here and put in a bottomless pit. And then there's a thousand-year millennial reign that Jesus reigns here on earth uh, for a thousand years. But then at the end of that thousand years, you see this. Satan is loosed, and for one final battle, and then Satan is defeated. And, and they, I don't like this one because it really doesn't emphasize. You know, Satan is then thrown into the lake of fire, but then there's a new heaven and a new earth that comes down. And actually, you know, when you read Revelation, I read that this week about a new Jerusalem. And, you know, actually... Um, John actually measures the, 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 the um, New Jerusalem, and it's pretty amazing when you see that. And that's, to me, this, this diagram, this is the cool part to me, is that is when Jesus will come and sit on his throne and we'll have a New Jerusalem and a perfect place. So we as Christ followers can spend a lot of time looking at all this timeline and get into some maybe some hotly contested debates over it. But when we look at what's happening in the world and say, we are in the end times, Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 gives us some signs to look for. Whether you're in the end times by the end of chapter four turns into what is most important. And that is for us to be on watch and to be ready for his return. So I want us to focus on that in Matthew 24 and 25. We're not going to be able to read that. So if you have your Bibles or on your phone, please turn there. I'd like you to scan it or look at it. encourage you to study it and read it this week, Matthew 24. But I'm just going to skim through it a little bit as we look at it today. So at the beginning of Matthew 24, you see what spurs this conversation. You know, Jesus is leaving the temples with his disciples, and he tells them that this temple that we're at will be destroyed someday. And so this troubled the disciples because the temple was the center of their religion. And, and, when, and they asked, when will this happen? And will it be a sign of the end of the world? So in Jesus, in Matthew 24, gives like nine things um, to, 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 to think about. And, and he kind of talks about it. And I, I want to kind of promote um, this verse 8. Because he says in verse 8, but with all this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. So when you look at these nine things that we're going to look at, you know, it's interesting. He equates it to birth pains and labor. So I think about when Jill and I had our firstborn, um, Abby, um, you know, I remember that. We didn't know what we were doing as a newly married couple. And Jill's pregnant. And um, all of a sudden she starts to feel some birth pains. And so I remember the doctor calling him. Main questions they ask is how often are the contractions and how intense are they? And so I remember us, you know, well, they're getting all right. So we go to the mall and we walk around the mall for hours and hours, you know? 
And so those birth pains started happening more frequently with a little more intensity. When we get to the, when we get to the hospital, we find out the hospital doesn't give epidurals, which we should have investigated first. And we find out they had to put her on Pitocin at the same time. That's when labor pains really happened. And you could tell a big difference. And so, again, think about that when you're looking at these nine signs of birth pains to labor that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24. That it's related to the intensity of them and the frequency of them. So, you know, the difference is, again, the level of frequency and the intensity, but there's nine things as you look through the chapter that are occurring, and then you have to question what's the level of frequency and intensity. So the first one is just wars and rumors of wars. So you can say, well, in our day and age, do we have more wars and rumors of war in our society? You could probably say yes, but you think about last century, people coming into you know, World War I and the Great War, it's called, and killed almost 37 million people. And then a few decades later, during World War II, in the, in the shadow of Hitler and the Japanese Empire, um, the 70 million people died. So you have to think about, okay, in our day and age, does it happen more frequently and more intense? Next sign is Jesus talking about famines, earthquakes, and in Luke 21, it actually talks about pestilences or pandemics. So you have to think about that. Wow. And that's what has caused a lot of discussion about are we in the end times? But you have to think about pandemics in the past. You know, you think about in the 1300s, the Black Plague killed more than 25 million people. And even you've heard a lot more. I never didn't even know about the Spanish flu in 1918, but... You know, that killed an estimated 20 million people, uh, an estimated 675,000 Americans in 1918. But again, you have to look at the frequency and the intensity. The next birth pain is persecutions. And we probably see more and more of that in our day and age, where uh, in many parts of the world, we know that in some countries, if you claim Jesus as your savior, you will be persecuted and killed. The next sign is opposition to the gospel. I would say in our day and age, more and more hatred goes toward Christ followers than ever. I think we can see that more in our day and age that people oppose being told what the Bible teaches. Next birth pain is apostasy, which is really people leaving the faith. And we do see, as you can know, that we see an increase in people turning away from their faith when we read about um, guys like Josh Harris and worship leaders at Hillsong and turning from their faith. Even recently, last few months, we um, knew of a young man that just a few months ago, um, you know, uh, renounced his faith and, and he grew up in our church, was saved, was discipled here. And it just hurts our soul when we see something like that happen. But Jesus says that's a sign of the times. Then the next sign is false prophets. We see that more and more in our day and age with media and TV and, and organizations, even churches that are preaching more than the gospel. And so you have to be aware, and that's a sign. Another birth pain that Jesus mentions in Matthew 24 is an increase in wickedness, an increase in moral decay. And how much do we see that in our day and age, day and age with abortion and the attack on biblical marriage 
Even Paul warns Timothy in the last days, you will see people more and more focused on themselves and on money. But then you have these last two, and this is the, what Pete really emphasized in his Mark 13 text, is you move a little bit from birth pains to labor. And as Pete pointed out, and Jesus mentions this in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is when in that three-year period, when um, the Antichrist comes on the scene during this period, there is an abomination of desolation that haps, happens right in the three and a half years. And that's when the Antichrist turns against the Jews and actually sets up his throne or kingdom right in the temple. And that's why they call it the, the abomination of desolation. So there, you really at this point have entered, and that's what Pete's point is in that talk he gave, is you've entered labor. For that's what was prophesied in the book of Daniel and Revelation, that um, when Jesus says these things, he says, get serious, because now you're going into labor. But we all know in order for the Antichrist to sit on the throne in the temple of Jerusalem, the temple needs to be rebuilt. And you know, presently, uh, a Muslim, Muslim dome of the rock is sitting on the location where the temple is to be rebuilt. So until that is done, we may be able to say the end times are near, but we cannot say the end times are here. And that's a big difference between the end times are near versus the end times are here. We know Israel is a major player in end times prophecy. because So the formation of Israel as a nation in 1948 was, so, was such an important step. You know, the seven-day war in June of 1967 when Israel regained control of Jerusalem was an important step. So we see these birth pains. And again, we all have to look at the frequency and the intensity of it. But I would say we're not in labor yet based upon these last two things. But Jesus goes towards the end of Matthew in verse 36 and makes a clear statement about something about us trying to predict the end times. And he says this. Oops, wrong one. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, even Jesus himself. Only the Father knows. So in our day and age, when you see people predicting the day or even the year or a time period that Jesus is returning, there should be a little red flag go off in your head and say, why would he tell you and not tell Jesus? Think about that. Why would he tell you and not tell Jesus? But again, Jesus really wants to refocus how the disciples are looking at this and when he gets to verse 42 and 44, he talks about, yeah, he talks about this and tells us where our focus really ought to be. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So keys in here is keep watch and be ready. So he talks about us focusing on that. And then he goes into a whole nother chapter in Matthew 25. And he gives four, three parables with kind of four themes in those parables related to that. 
And the four themes in these parables are a master and followers, a long delay, a time of testing, and an unexpected return. And if you look in Matthew 25, those three parables he talks about, the first one is the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. And you may be familiar with that. You know, 10 bridesmaids are waiting for the bridegroom to return or to start the marriage feast. And it's interesting, it says in there that he is delayed, which again is an important concept here. Um, and, and, uh, he's, and, and so they are delayed so much that the bridesmaids fall asleep. But then they're awakened and say, hey, the bridegroom's down the street. He's ready to come. He's, he's soon going to be here. But by that time, their, their lamps had gone out, and they needed to relight their lamps. Well, they talk about five wise bridesmaids that brought extra oil and are able to trim their lamps and have them ready when the bridegroom arrives. The other five, which are called foolish bridesmaids, actually go into the city and have to find and buy oil. Well, while they're gone, the bridegroom comes back. And he enters into the wedding feast. The five wise bridesmaids go in. The five wise, uh, foolish bridesmaids return, but by that time, the door's locked. And they're unable to get in. And it's kind of a sobering statement when you read through that parable that you see the same statement in Matthew 7 that the bridegroom states to them, I never knew you. And then the parable ends with a challenge to keep watch. The second parable is the parable of the three servants, and you may be familiar with that. It tells of a story of a master going again on a long journey, and he called his servants. So there's master and servants. And it says he gives them, according to their abilities, one he gives five bags of silver, one he gives two, one he gives one. And he goes, and again, but after a long time he returns. And the servants that had received five and two bags of silver doubled their money and presented to the master ten and four. But the servant that received one bag went and buried it in the ground and hid it. And the master says to the two servants that doubled their money, well done, my good and faithful servants. You will now be given more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. But the servant that buried the one bag of silver, the master actually calls him a wicked and lazy servant and has his bag of silver given to the servant that had 10 now. And it says that the useless servant was thrown into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No matter how you read that, it's not a nice place. Then the last story, and it's not really a parable because it really is a future narrative of the conclusion of time and the final judgment. And it says that people of all nations will be separated as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And it says Jesus will place the sheep on his right side, the goats on his left side. And what's interesting, he rewards them based upon how they served. Because you remember, it says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. And I, I had a roommate in college that we would go round and round with this text because he would always say, I think it's by works that you get into heaven. Look at this. This is how Jesus is going to judge at the end of times. But you have to look in, in scripture and look at, you know, a text and then look at a, you know, a, a book and then look in all of scripture. And we know 
through Scripture that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it's interesting that, um, you know, Jesus separates the sheep and the goats because he could see the fruit that was born because they had given their lives to Christ. So this grace that we have should produce fruit in our lives. And you read, it says, the sheep are told to inherit the kingdom of heaven, prepared from the foundation of the earth. But then you read that Jesus turns to the goats and it says, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Again, not a nice place. So we see through these parables and other scriptures, the more important issue we should focus on today when we're talking about the end times is how to live today with an end times mentality. And we see this in these parables that we just reviewed, but one place you really see it is in um, the gospel or in Second Peter. So living with an end times mentality, Peter, and you have to remember, Peter's writing this to the early church in the first century that are being persecuted. And that church in the early century really believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And they're they're talking to Peter and and they're really heavy with their hearts and say, when, when is this going to happen? And, G- and Peter gives a few things that we should be doing today. The first one is be patient. And, and you see that text here in the verse in, in uh, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 15a. You see this and you say, but you must not forget one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. And remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So Peter reminds the early church that God's time clock when it comes to eternity is different than ours. That a day is like a thousand years to him. And how he wants to be patient, giving more time to be, for people to be saved. The second thing you see when you're living with an end times mentality is we need to be a faithful servant. We saw that in the parables. You see that in, in this passage in 2 Peter 3.14 where Peter says, and so dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. So again, another challenge for us you know, and you see this time and time in Scripture where we're called to live holy and blameless. And it's a good thing to study in this day and age. What's that mean? Peaceful lives. But we should be living out and being a faithful servant, just like that parable said. Then you see a third thing that we should be doing is live out Jesus' teaching. Um, you, we, we know in Second Peter 3.11 that it talks about since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives we should live. So we should be um, reading Jesus' teaching and living those out and living holy and godly lives for him. The next thing that we should be doing 
live with a blessed hope. And I know this term is used in Titus 2.13, but you see it in 1 Thessalonians 4. You see it even in Hebrews. Um, it's a phrase that uh, I know as a young person growing up, we use this phrase a lot more, that we have a blessed hope. And I really believe it should be used, and I've been challenged this week, that it should be used more and more in our vocabulary as Christ followers, that we have a blessed hope. That the end times is so interesting when you look at this, this uh, text here and you see 2 Peter 3.12a, looking forward to the day of God, and I love this phrase, and hurrying it along. You know, that we should be hurrying it along, asking the Lord to come and looking for that blessed hope. And we should be praying for that blessed hope to arrive. The next thing is to... Um, be aware of the enemy's tactics. And you go back to 1 Peter in this text, and 1 Peter writes the early church in 1 Peter 5, 8, that we need to watch and stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. It's interesting, this past week, Pete came into our staff meeting on Tuesday and really talked about this verse and talked about how, you know, we think about Satan's tactics in our day and age, and we think a lot of time that he spends a majority of his time tearing down the cultural and religious and moral fabric of our society. But what's interesting before this verse is Pete was challenging our staff that Satan really likes to go after the church. He likes to go after. In fact, if you read the verses before this in, in 5.8, he's talking about elders and leadership that says, if Satan's going to go after something, he's going after the church. He's going after believers. He's going after leaders. And it talks so much in that text before this verse how much we must approach and have a level of humility in our lives, in the leadership of the church, because Pete's point was that Satan's greatest tactic is to go after believers in the church and, and stir up arrogance and anxiety. And how much does that happen in our churches today and in, in us, you know, getting all wound up and getting really, you know, um, thinking we're, we're, we're more important than this. And, and Peter's saying, no, watch your arrogance and watch your anxiety during this time. How important it is for us to come together and be unified is never so important in our churches today. That's what was neat to see Tuesday and Thursday night when we did this um, back to school blessing and was able to do it with the key church. I mean, to go and serve together and be unified and keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's sharing the love of Christ through passing out a little Walmart card but then having the opportunity to break up in pairs and pray together over families to encourage and strengthen them as they enter the school year. Then the next thing we should be doing is to share your blessed hope. So when you look at Second um, Peter, and it kind of Peter had referred to this already, he says in verse 9, he says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient. There's that word that encourages us to be patient for your sake. 
He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So he does not want anyone to perish, but he wants all to repent. And what an opportunity, I believe, in our day and age to share the blessed hope that we have to a lost world that is overwhelmed with fear and anxiety right now. And we can share that we, are ne- we know there are a lot of unknowns um, coming up, but we have a blessed hope because we know how this thing ends up. We can trust in that blessed hope. What an opportunity in our day and age to share that blessed hope. And I would say through this study, um, this past couple weeks, um, God has really convicted me that, um, you know, I don't, I don't read and study prophetic scripture like I should. I really been challenged that I should be reading the book of Revelation probably every couple months just to have a, f- a focus on it. Not so I can determine if I'm a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib view, or that I can say, hey, Jesus, we are in the end times. No, it's to have the focus that says, hey, um, I have a blessed hope that Jesus is returning. And looking, I think it's all of a, a looking for opportunities because people are looking for hope. And the best way to do that is saying, I have a blessed hope because I, I know there's a lot of unknowns right now, but I know where I'm going. And I know what God's ultimate plan is. What an opportunity we have in our day and age. And then the last one is... To live as if it is the day, but work as if he's not coming for a thousand years. You know, um, I think it was interesting. I was in a, a, my D group on Friday with some guys that I meet with from the church, and, and I was telling them a little bit about where I was going with this message. And the one guy brought up a, a question. He said, what if we knew, and we know this isn't biblical, but what if we knew that Jesus was actually coming tomorrow? Tomorrow's the day. How would that change our perspective? And he, he really challenged us by saying, would, be, we, would we be really me-focused that we'd say, oh, let's gather our families and, and let's just um, pray and get together and, and just, um, you know, I don't know, say our goodbyes or get ready? Or would we be, you know, um, out on the rooftops proclaiming that Jesus is coming? One guy mentioned, would we be like Paul Revere riding through the the neighborhood saying, Jesus is coming back? So like we said, it's a great opportunity to share the hope that we have and live for the day, but we still have to plan and work and pray as though that his return is years down the road. You know, that we're not saying, well, let's sell everything, move to Montana and hunker down. You know, I mean, I mean, when you're seeing things and you see signs of the end times, it's now even more important to live the day, but have a long-term philosophy too. So I just want to close today. I want to read you the last two verses in the Bible. It's actually Revelation 20 and 21. And so you see these verses and the statement that Jesus says, he says, who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. So Jesus makes that statement. Yes, I am coming soon. 
And here's the reply, reply by John. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So when you think about that's the last two verses in our Bible. How important it is for us as Christ followers to have that same perspective and to be able to say with all that's going on in the world, knowing we have that blessed hope that we can say amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And if you're a Christ follower today, that should be your response. Even with all the fear and anxiety that we're going on in our society, we can hold on to that blessed hope and say that, come, Lord Jesus, come. But if you're here today and listening today and you've never heard that Jesus is coming back and you don't have that blessed hope, or maybe you've said a prayer one time, but you're not seeing any fruit in your life, today may be a wake-up call for you. God is being patient because he does not want any to perish. So I encourage you, don't wait. Make that decision today to follow Jesus and receive that blessed hope. So we're going to close today um, with a, a song that's become pretty popular that Mercy Me has done. And I hope as you, as a Christ follower today, um, will find strength and encouragement in what, li listening to this song and uh, seeing the words of what it says.
make no mistake, there's still more to come when our flesh and our bone are no longer between. Where we are right now and where we're meant to be. When all that's been lost has been whole again. When these tears and this pain no longer exist. No more walking, we're running as fast as we can. Feel this, our second way. doesn't mind let's stand and sing that last that's not a song you can sit I don't think you know let's stand and sing that last chorus together could you guys do that for me all right thank you God, as Christ followers, we hold on to that blessed hope. With everything going on in our world, Lord, we know we can hold on to you. We can hold on to that blessed hope that someday you will return and make all things right. Lord, we pray that we would be on watch and that we would be ready. But Lord, I pray for those that don't have that blessed hope. Pray, Lord, that they would see their need for a Savior a need to come to you to have that blessed hope. With everything going on in the world, Lord, how more important it is to have that blessed hope and to come you, come to you as Savior, come to you as the Lamb before it is too late. So we just pray, Lord, that your Spirit would move in people's hearts, that they would make 
um, changes in their life to come to you and again to hold on to that blessed hope. We just thank you and praise you for our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I just want to encourage you and those that are online, um, you know, if you made that decision to follow Christ today, we'd love to know about it. We'd love to talk to you about it. You can send an email to that care at yourhillside.com and we'd love to to have a discussion with you and share that blessed hope we have. Uh, If you're here today and you want to talk to someone when you go out, there's tents out there where you can um, talk to someone. Uh, and uh, again, don't make, don't wait for that decision to be made to accept Christ as your Savior.